0: Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We've been trudging through the book of Mark, and I decided to quit trudging through that for a bit, and we're going to trudge now through 1 Corinthians for a while, because I was ready to trudge through something else, because I have ADHD, I believe. It's never been diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, as many rabbit trails as we t- chase, uh, and R- Marv pointed out, he's like, we never eat rabbit, but we chase a lot at church. Um, we're going to go through through parts of 1 Corinthians, and um, as I was studying 1 Corinthians this week, I thought, why did I do this to myself? This is a crazy book. So maybe I'll get bored and we'll move on to something else, or maybe I'll get scared and we'll do something else. But right now, I'm thinking about 1 Corinthians. <laughs> we're going to do that today. It's an interesting, crazy, hard book because because of Chloe's household, (laughs) not her, a different Chloe. Chloe's household, it was one of the houses where people would go in Corinth to meet for church. That's how they did it back then, uh, before churches had buildings. And the reason we got buildings was because us Americans don't like having 50 or 60 or 70 people over to our house weekly. So we're like, hey, let's build something and have everybody go there. And we'll be able to not have to clean up our homes on Sunday mornings. So they met at Chloe's house, one of the houses. And she would have over to her house 50, 60, 70 people for church. They'd get together, and and there was all sorts of divisions in the church. Uh, There was divisions, there was strong leaders, and some were following one leader and some another, and there was arguments, there was divisions, there was disunity, there was all of these things going on in Chloe's house church. One of the leaders was sleeping with his stepmother and having an affair, and nobody confronted him on it. In fact, some of his followers were boasting about his freedom in Jesus to do such a thing. The rich people, they were not very generous with the poor people in their midst. And back then, the way the rich would give to the poor is they would have communion, but it wasn't just a little piece of bread and a little sip of juice. It was food. They would have the offering first. And the reason they'd have the offering first is because they rarely gave money. Because they didn't have a structure like this and Chloe didn't take a salary to have everybody to the house. And so what they did was they had a communal meal. And they would, we'd call it potluck. And they would have the offering and everybody would bring their gifts down to the table or whatever Chloe had prepared. And they would bring all the food. And some of the rich people, they would eat first and they'd eat all they wanted, and and they were even getting drunk on the wine and not saving enough for the lower-class people in their midst. (laughs) There was other arguments in the church. Uh, There were people who would speak in tongues, and there were people who would prophesy, and there were some folks who just didn't know what to do with that, and so they argued and fussed and fight about those things. Uh, They argued, some people, the the real immature Christians in Corinth, because Paul was there for about a year and a half, and when he was there, Jesus had only been risen from the dead for about 15 to 20 years. Not long. Some of you have been coming to his church for longer than that. And Paul had been in Corinth for about a year and a half. Why was he there not long? Because Jesus told him in a dream to stay. That was a long time for Paul to stay anywhere. And he stayed in Corinth. And he was discipling people. He was seeking to lead people to Christ. He was getting this little baby church up and running. <laughs> and Then he left. And 1 Corinthians was written to the church in Corinth at Chloe's house and other houses about three years after he had been gone from Corinth. And the interesting thing was, it wasn't his first letter he wrote to them. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he references another letter he had written to them. And they misunderstood it. Has that ever happened? They misunderstood his first letter, and then he gets a report from some in Chloe's household about some of the stuff going on in church, and Paul is thinking, oh my goodness. The cat's away, the mice will play? And he writes this letter. Now, it's interesting. We don't have that first letter. We know that there were four letters written to the church in Corinth, and we only have two. There you go. 1st and 2nd Corinthians, we call them. We only have two. And I don't know why those other two weren't, weren't kept for us, why they weren't preserved. But Paul wrote at least four letters to this church. And this is one of his longest letters he writes. 16 chapters is how we've broken it down. You realize that he wrote a letter like you write a letter he didn't put like chapter 1, verse 1. Hi. <laughs> 1, 2. How are you? Okay. He didn't do all that. Later, dudes came in and were like, okay, we want to have Bible sword drills at church, so look up Psalm 43, 3. Okay, go. And that's why they put those in there, so we could do that stuff. Paul didn't do any of that stuff. He just wrote a letter like how you and I write a letter. And he wrote it to a group of friends, people who he had spent a year and a half with, people who he had visited multiple times, many who he had led to faith in Jesus, folks who he had put in leadership of the church. These are dearly beloved friends. He writes a letter to them. So beginning in... Verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul. Now, they did weird things in their letters. For one, they told who it was from at the beginning. Which would be helpful sometimes, right? Because how many of you, when you get a letter, go, Oh, Grandma. Okay, cool. You know, I thought I recognized that handwriting. you got to flip all the way to the back. Or you got to decipher who's it from. I got a wedding invitation in the mail. Well, I thought it was a wedding invitation until I opened it, and then it was for Dish TV. I guess they're having a wedding, and I'm invited. Have you seen those new envelopes? I thought, hey, another wedding. Oh, Dish television is getting married. Anyways, I was confused. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus... By the will of God. Now, listen in on this as I read it. Look on it. By the way, I want to do an experiment. I don't want to put it on the screen for you in the summertime. Because I'm mean and horrible. No, actually, there's this huge church in Southern California. It's called North Coast Church. They're very seeker sensitive, meaning they like people who don't know Jesus to come to their church. And for years, they have intentionally not put the words on the screen. Why? Because they want people to bring their Bibles. They want them to mark them up. They want them to circle, highlight, underline. Because in the middle of the night, 30 years from now, some of us will be dead, but some of you won't. And you're getting in a fight with your wife, and you'll be like, Pastor Weinkoop, years ago, said something about that. I remember the words on the screen. I wish I would have had my Bible that day because I can't call him because he's dead. I'll probably die in 15, 20 years, you know, because look at the gray hair that I got. And if you bring this thing, you can circle, highlight, underline, write in it. You can flip to things and find stuff. You will learn how to use it. 1 Corinthians, notice how far in the back it is. If you open your Bible there, Paul, called to be an apostle. Listen, if you don't have your Bible, to how many times you hear a particular name. Apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brothers Sosthenes. Isn't that fun to say? To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ." God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What do you think is on Paul's mind as he writes those first nine verses? He says Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, eight times in nine verses. What do you think this is about? (laughs) It's a lot of repetition. No shorthand. No J.C., no, Jesus. It's always Christ or Christ Jesus. Why is he using Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus Christ? Why is he using that language? And by the way, when we hear that, we, we think somebody's swearing or we're in church, right? It doesn't mean much to us anymore. I read a translation of this, and he rendered it King Jesus. Because that's what Christ means. King And I thought, man, that's a better way of rendering this. Because when I hear King Jesus, King Jesus, King Jesus, I kind of sit up and take notice. Ooh, King Jesus. Kings sit on thrones. Kings do whatever you want to do. Kings have subjects. Kings have servants. Kings tell peasants what to do. Kings have loyal subjects and unloyal subjects. Kings are a political figure. Kings have kingdoms. I think that's a good way to hear this passage. King Jesus. King Jesus. Jesus the king. The king. What does Paul have on his mind? He's got King Jesus on his mind, but he's also got a kingdom on his mind. Hebrews calls it the heavenly kingdom, a kingdom that Jesus said was not of this world. And Paul writes a very standard way of greeting people. This is how you wrote an ancient letter. And so when you get to these kinds of things, you've probably sat through sermon series, maybe I did one, where, you know, ad nauseum, the pastor's like, okay, Paul, who's Paul? Blah, 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 you know, Paul's this. Okay, Corinth, where's Corinth? And this is da 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 and it's all kind of fine and dandy and interesting. But one of the things that's helpful when you come to this is what is Paul doing that's different than any other letter that was written back then? Some of the things that you pick up on, one of the words that he hardly ever uses is this word called. Jesus, Paul, called to be an apostle of King Jesus by the will of God. <laughs> is he appealing to a higher authority? Okay, this is the interactive part, you know. If you're going to doze off, just do it. Don't fight it. You look funny. But if you're still awake... He's appealing to a higher authority. It's like a footnote. You ever read a book without footnotes? It drives me nuts. I hate those kind of books. Especially when they say all these crazy harebrained notions, you know, like if you do this five times, then cancer will go away. Wow, that's amazing. How did nobody else know that? You know, and then you look for the footnote, like where's the study? Where's the doctor? Who figured that out? And Paul, this is like a footnote. Paul. Footnote, called by God, by the will of God. Ooh, that Paul. And you'll find in this book that there are some in Corinth who go, please, Paul, that guy, (laughs) he's short, number one. He's Jewish, number two. He wasn't well-spoken, number three. I don't think highly of Paul. I like Apollos. I like Peter. And so Paul right out the gate is trying to say, listen up, I'm Paul. Called by Jesus, the king. By the will of God. To be an apostle to you. Gives me authority. It's like he's trying to tell them, this is why you should listen to me. This is why you should read this book. Some of you don't agree with me. That's not okay, says Paul. He goes on. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ. Now, when you heard me describe some of the problems, divisions, arguments, about which leader to follow and what to do in church, some people acting immature, some people drinking to drunkenness during the Lord's Supper, some not getting anything, some people sleeping with folks they shouldn't, others suing each other in church. All these behaviors. And Paul has the audacity to say, sanctified in King Jesus and called to be his holy people. Is he setting them up? Is he buttering them up? Or does he really believe that? You see, if you're buttering them up, you don't believe it about them. You're setting them up for the punch, right? But if you believe it, then you hope they believe it. Paul believes this about them. His theology tells this about them. Now, why does... His theology tell this about him, about these folks. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, King Jesus, their Lord, their King, and ours. That's not supposed to be on the screen. She didn't listen. (laughs) It's okay. I guess. (laughs) I'm going to take, I'm going to turn that off. Um, Paul is appealing to everyone who is called to be a follower of Jesus. And listen to how you become a follower of Jesus. Call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You call on his name. Churches for generations have tried to come up with ways of making you a member in their church, of deciding how you become a member. Sprinkle you when you're an infant. Sprinkle with you when you're a little older, after you took a class. Dunk you in water, after you affirm that you follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. After you give 10%. After you sign a covenant and a commitment card. After you, on and on and on and on and on and on. Churches have argued and wrangled and tried to figure out how do we decide who's a member. And Paul says, you know how you decide who's a member? Those who have called on the name of Christ. In a moment, next week, we'll see that he goes, I didn't even baptize anybody there. Baptism isn't even the way you get into the church. You call on the name of Christ, says Paul. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and King Jesus. And he says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. I tried to do this a moment ago and I said, Thank you for coming and listening to me because listening is hard. Every time I see some of you show up on Sundays, I thank God. <laughs> this would be so weird without you. <laughs> Just me standing here talking. I thank God when people come. Not because I feel better about myself, though I do. <laughs> But I, I enjoy seeing you, your smiley, happy faces. I enjoy coming together and talking to many of you, enjoying our time together. I enjoy watching you all interact with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. I enjoy it when somebody new shows up and we start to interact with them. We learn about their life. We try to figure out how to be a blessing to them. I love when the church gets together. I love getting together. This is going to be anathema to some of you. I love getting together with other churches too. There's something about getting together with brothers and sisters in Christ. And I thank God when we're able to get together. I thank God for you. Am I buttering you up? Or do I believe it? I've been here 13 years. I had best believe this. Paul says he gives thanks for these folks, these sanctified by Jesus Christ holy ones who ain't acting it very often. I always thank my God for you. Why? Because of his grace given you. (laughs) That's why he thanks God for them, because God gave them grace. Grace. For in him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that there's arguments in the church about spiritual gifts? Did you know that there are those who are called cessationists and they believe that the gifts, especially the sign gifts, have ceased Cessationist. Some prominent cessationist would be John MacArthur. He would be one who believes that the sign gifts have ceased. Now, John MacArthur is a godly man and a brother in Christ. I disagree with John MacArthur. And partly why I disagree with John MacArthur is because of this passage right here. Because it says, You do not lack any spiritual gift. Paul's making it clear that, and did you hear how he included all of us earlier where he says, everywhere, those everywhere who call on the name, those everywhere, including Ray, Yuma County, those everywhere who call on the name of Christ, I give thanks for you, and God has given you spiritual gifts. Now what on earth is a spiritual gift? Spiritual gift is something that God gives you right when you've come to faith in Christ. And I also think He gives us some other gifts at other times. Like one summer, the guy who was a really good administrator at our church youth group got fired, moved on, did another job. They downsized us because we had too many people. And I have like very little administrative ability. That summer, I became a great administrator. And then as soon as that summer was over, I couldn't even file paper to save my life. If you don't believe me, go look at my office. Me and paper don't get along. I don't like administrating stuff. I try. I'm not good at it. I watch other people. I'm like, wow, they're amazing at that. How do you do that? That, yeah, that makes sense. I could have figured that out, but I don't want to because I'm no good at it. So I just move on. And for a spell, I was a really good administrator. And everybody gets a spiritual gift. And a spiritual gift is something that the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gift, Holy Spirit gives to you and allows you to do that you otherwise would not have the ability to do. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit gives you an ability that otherwise you wouldn't be able to do. Like preaching, teaching. The Holy Spirit gives Everyone gifts, because Paul is saying here, you will not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus to be revealed. That's also why I think the gifts continue until Jesus returns, because Paul says, you won't lack any spiritual gift until Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, then maybe the gifts cease. I don't know how that works. But Paul here says, Individually, you've all been given a spiritual gift. And corporately, your gift is needed. I was kind of running this through the years here at this church. Because when I first got here, my kids doubled the nursery. Cause they went downstairs and hung out with the clapper kids and Curtis occasionally went down there, but he was too old, but he liked that better than listening to me, which you, know, listening is hard work. Thank you for being here. Did I tell you that? Our kids double the size of the nursery. And if I had read this passage back then, like I'm reading it now, would I have said this church lacks no gifts, Back then? You see, the answer would have to be, yes, we lack no gift. Even though some of you who are here now weren't here yet, now we're thankful you're here. And now that you're here, we don't lack any gifts because we got you. Does that make sense? You see, the church is always full. The church is always operating from a paradigm of completeness. The church is always operating from the paradigm of, uh, uh, not a scarcity mentality, but an abundance mentality. That whoever we got here is who we need to do what Jesus called us to do. Does that make sense? Now what's really, really cool is that God is smarter than me. Because I've been kicking around 1 Corinthians 1 for quite some time. And I didn't know that the Browns were going to leave. I didn't know Drew was going to leave. I didn't know Josh Graham was going to leave. I didn't know Mike Badzik was going to leave. I didn't know all these people were going to leave in the month that I decided to preach 1 Corinthians 1. But when they were here, we had all the gifts we needed to do what God has called us to do and be. And when they leave, we somehow still have all the gifts that we need to do and be what God has called us to be. Why do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so, This I know Now, does my brain and my heart believe that? Not always. What does that mean? You got your steel toed boots on? I mean, some of you got to step up. I went to a church that was a cruise ship for a while, it was awesome. There was a water slide never had to help in the nursery. Poopy diapers freak me out. Make me gag. I I could just sit down, sip my coffee, leave without talking to somebody. It was awesome for an introvert like me. Which is a hymn I'm working on right now. I could have church on my terms. We paid people to be in the nursery. We paid people to be up front and sing. We paid people to talk to us. We paid people to wave us out of the parking lot. We paid people to make the coffee. We paid. Why did we pay people? Because time is the new currency. I don't want to show up early, but I'll pay somebody to show up early for me. And we were happy to do it. Did you know that the smaller your church is, the more like a battleship or a PT cruiser you are? Because we can't have much dead weight on this thing because it's only so big, and we can only do so much. And there are people who go online or read a book we're listening to some really smart preacher, and he's talking about how they're reaching all their whole community for Jesus. And they got this ministry, and that ministry, and this ministry, and that ministry, and this ministry, and that ministry, and this ministry, and that ministry. And you know what they do? They come to my office and say, hey, we need have this ministry, and that ministry, and this ministry, and that ministry, this ministry, and that ministry. And you know what my response is? Okay, you're in charge of this ministry, and that ministry, this ministry, and that ministry. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. You're paid to be here. You should do the ministry. You know, I know those pastors and I watch their videos and I get their books and I read them and if I wanted to do this ministry and that ministry and this ministry and that ministry, I could apply to go to work at that church and I could say, hey, I want to do this ministry and this ministry only. You can pay me to do it. I've heard you got a good 401k plan and good health benefits and there's a Chipotle nearby that I could (laughs) disciple people at and a barbecue joint I mean, what if the pastor turned and said, yeah, we should do this ministry and that ministry and this ministry and that ministry, and I'm gonna go do this ministry and that ministry elsewhere. I'm the only non-volunteer here. Chloe's house church, everybody was a volunteer. Everybody at Chloe's church was a volunteer. And if they didn't make it work, they didn't make it work, what happens to the witness of Christ in Corinth? What happens if these divisions get the best of this church? What happens if God doesn't get people into positions to serve the church with their gifts and their abilities that they can't do on their own? That's why it's called a spiritual gift because they need the Holy Spirit to give it to them so they can do it because otherwise they couldn't do it. Now, how do you figure out your spiritual gifts? You go serve in the nursery. That's the first place you start. And then you go, man, I'm not gifted at this. Or maybe, wow, this is awesome. I love this. I'm going to keep doing this. But you start there. If you don't like that, move up to elementary school, kids. Man, this is awesome. This is great. Then you stay there. If you don't like that, man, this is crazy. Move up to, dare I say it, junior high, kids. Some of you already decided, no, I don't like junior high kids. Let me tell you, I was a junior high pastor. Oh, it was fun. It was awesome. I've done weddings for some of those kids. They have kids now. And I tell them, ha ha, I prayed that kid would do that to you. (laughs) But those kids, when they were in middle school, you know what they would do? For a bead. You know a bead? A little plastic bead that you put on a leather bracelet? For a bead, I could get these kids to go into the deep section of the wave pool at Waterworld and hang on to these things, steps or whatever, handles on the side of the wave pool. And I said, if you hang on, when that wave passes over, and you remain hanging on the handle, I will give you a bead. <laughs> and th- this color bead was this is the only way you could get this bead. Do you know how many kids I watched hang on the handle and their swim trunks went flying down? <laughs> but they got the bead. That's how I found out I had the spiritual gift of working with junior hires. (laughs) Because I love those kids. If you don't like junior high, go work with some high schoolers. Hey, by the way, there's this free movie event today. It's air conditioned. You can buy a pop, sit in the dark, and not talk to anybody. See if you like it. If you find you don't like high schoolers, maybe young marrieds, college kids, if you find you don't like them, (laughs) I mean, have you done this? Have you exercised your gifts? Have you figured out what it is? Have you jumped in the fray? Or are you on the cruise ship? I wish I was pastor of a cruise ship sometimes. Because you know why? Because that looks like a lot of fun to be a pastor of a cruise ship. Because you just get to cruise as a pastor of a cruise ship. It's not going to sink. You don't need all hands on deck. You can hire folks and fire people and grab new folks. you know what, I was a youth pastor on a cruise ship. It was pretty fun. But it wasn't near as fun as this. It wasn't near as challenging as this is. It didn't call as much out of me as this does. Several years ago, when I first started, one of the elders grabbed me and he said, if you will do it, we'll be happy to sit and watch you. I didn't know what he meant. I do now. If you'll do it, we'll be happy to sit and watch you. And he meant it kind of in a protecting me sort of way of you gotta call it out of us. You gotta challenge us. You gotta get us going. And I believe me, I get it. I get it you've got a life you've got things you got stuff you got want things you want I understand my lawn desperately needs water today. I should have stayed home and watered it because it's gonna be dead when I get home. We all got things to do we all got things we'd rather do we've all got hobbies we all got this but did you see that last bit? of, I'd say, maybe motivation. Eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Are you eagerly waiting? And this is an active waiting. This isn't just a, oh God, take me now. (laughs) Uh, Right? This is a, using my spiritual gifts while I'm eagerly awaiting. The more you work with people, the more you interact with people. Do you know I eagerly wait for Jesus to come more now than when I was a junior high pastor? And the reason I didn't with junior hires is because junior high problems aren't that big a deal. If you're in middle school, sorry, tough darts. That's just how it is. Your problems aren't that big. Feel like it when little Susie breaks your heart, but it's not a big deal. But people who are 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, people who are dying and being divorced, and, and cancer, and death, and uh, and yuck, and car accidents, and tornadoes, and I start to really eagerly wait for Jesus now. And the more in the fray you get, the more eager you will be. The dirtier and messier you get in trying to work with people and using your spiritual gift, the more you'll be like, oh God, I can't do this. Please come. If you're not eagerly waiting for Christ, then maybe you got too much of your feet on planet Earth. Maybe you've got too many entanglements here. And guess what? Paul's going to talk about that later. Because did you know that there's a group of people in Corinth who didn't even believe in the resurrection of the dead? Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Not just as a... I hope I go somewhere when I die, kind of a resurrection of the dead. Do you believe that this body that you have been stuck in for however long you've been stuck in it will one day rise from the dead? (laughs) This thing here. And I sure hope it's way cooler looking. (laughs) Hope it's more like Neo from The Matrix, you know? (laughs) flying, seeing stuff, doing things. That's what I hope for. We're going to dive into Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. We're going to see that this city of 80,000 people that had an amphitheater that would seat 18,000 people and a concert venue that would seat 3,000 people desperately needed this little house church of 50 to 100 people and we're going to see that you have never ever heard that Corinth had 80,000 people that it had an amphitheater that seated 18,000 people or it had a concert venue that seated 3,000 people but you've heard of first corinthians because nobody cares about the greeks anymore I hope that Greek yogurt thing takes off because they haven't done anything big since like the Olympics. They need a break. But you've heard about Corinth because we are all still eagerly waiting for the return of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these folks who have given up part of their day to come and listen and spend time together as your people. I pray that you would speak to us through this book. I pray that we would see the relevancy. I pray that you would impress upon us that if we're not in our Bibles already, that we would just maybe read a chapter a day in 1 Corinthians for the next several weeks. Just see what you do and say and speak into us. And I pray, Father, that you would meet each of these folks where they're at. And I pray that they would use their gifts to serve you in this church and in this community because I know lots of people are busy and they're doing fantastic, awesome, moving the kingdom of Jesus forward in the community kind of things. And they're part of the battle plan. And I pray that those who are on the sideline or on the cruise ship sipping a nice Mai Tai would decide to put it down and enter the fray. Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Thanks for listening. Please come next week. Grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.